I've been true to myself in that no matter every one of those jobs, I learned the value of brand at Saatchi and Saatchi and Men's Journal. And then I started realizing how to build that at Nat Geo and then further that. You know, if the one string is there's a consistency of thought process here of believing that if you can make a massive deep connection with the end audience, you can build a tremendous business around that. From Front Office Sports, it's Office Hours, a show where we take you inside the minds of some of the most influential names in the sports industry to break down where things have been and where they are going. Before we get to today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Bitrix. New crypto traders have a wide range of options when it comes to selecting tokens, and the same is true for the trading platform they choose to operate on. There are many factors to consider when deciding on a platform, like token selection, trading features, and trade execution speed. But perhaps the most important is security. Bitrix stands above the competition as the most reliable trading platform and sets the standard for security and convenience in the crypto space. Its innovative solutions offer best-in-class asset protection without making compromises on trade, execution, or flexibility. As part of an industry that hinges on security and accountability, Bitrix is committed to protecting its customers in every part of their crypto trading journey. Bitrix respects its users' trust in the platform and rewards that trust with an ever-expanding list of features and functionalities designed to improve their experience. To learn more about our technology and why Bitrix is the superior choice for keeping your crypto secure, visit www.bitrix.com. Again, visit www.bitrix.com. That's B-I-T-T-R-E-X.com. I'm Adam White, and on today's episode, we are joined by Rich Antonello, founder and CEO of Complex. Having navigated the complex ecosystem of media for the last 18 years, Complex has found a way to diversify its business across platforms and content. Once a media planner making 20000 a year and eating bologna and Cheerios, Antonello now oversees a business that is poised for global expansion, is looking to drive more conversation in and around athletes, and by last reports, will do over $200 million in revenue this year. Rich, obviously a lot going on. You guys are just named one of the most innovative companies by Fast Company. Well, you guys are fast. I know. You know <laughs> That's what we try to be. Um, what is innovative for you and innovation for Complex? Wow. Well, I mean... Coming we, in hot, we right could, out we the could, gate. Well, we could, we could spend four hours on that. Um, but no, no, no. We, I mean, look, um, we look at innovation two different ways. Number one, um, as the actual product. And then just because something's existing does not mean you shouldn't be re-innovating and iterating on a constant basis to improve. And I don't just mean in margin improvements, but I mean user experience, everything across the board, there's always ways to innovate and think about things in a very different way, right? So, um, you know, I actually think you can win, you win more and actually add more value to your company if you're more mature Rather than trying to swing for the fences around grand slams of completely brand new to world innovative products is by bringing innovation on a daily basis to your existing products and your existing platforms. Um, I mean, just even what we've been able to pull off with Hot Ones, right? I mean, but most people would be ecstatic about taking a YouTube first show, upstreaming it to network TV on an iterative basis as a game show. But we were like, that's not enough. We're going to bring, we're going to also build in new hot sauces for the game, cut Turner in on the deal, so on and so I mean, like my point there is that a lot of the iteration that makes the game show better came from the iteration of the actual IP creation on the show level basis first. 
So I think a lot of people think you have to be very specific, like only apply it in certain ways in the very hand in front of your face. To me, media is the most iterative sector and platforms in the world. So innovation has to be thought of 24-7, 365 days a year. So you didn't think you'd be selling $15 million worth of hot sauce when you all started this? Yeah, uh, it's more than that now. Um, but yes, uh, we no, there's no way we thought about... I say it this way. We definitely always think about verticalized fandoms. You've heard me, everyone who's spoken to me, we've been saying that since 2007, talking about owning verticalized fandoms. The What owning verticalized fandoms does for you is have the ability to effectively move from platform to platform effectively and move from product to product because they, are, they care so much about your brand and so much what that brand means to them. So, you know, think about it. When you speak to somebody and you have a dotted line of reach or scale and you try and include things in, they fall through the, the cracks. If you have a very deep connection with somebody and you include new things on top of it, you can stack it. And that's literally the entire framework for our, our whole business. Where do you think some of the next uh, verticalized areas come from? I know you guys have iterated a bunch of them <clears throat> and had success in some and maybe not as much in the others. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I don't think it's about breaking new categories as much as it is um, understanding um, the expansion that comes from the organic expansion of the topics that we're already very effective in. You know, if you think back... We've been doing this for 18 years in probably four to five massive different iterations of the business from magazine to digital ad network to owned and operated uh, dot com plays to IP creators to now being kind of, you know, verticalized brands that happen to distribute digitally disproportionately. So if you think about for us and the topics that we were in, sneakers, hip hop as a culture, uh, art, design, style, these were all niches and on the outside. The amount of organic growth that we have brought to the table and probably pushed along as well as the organic growth of those topics, to me, we're not even scratching the surface of how big and influential we can be, not just domestically, but globally. So it's not like, oh, let's go, no shots at anybody else, but, um, there's a lot of people like, oh my God, here's where the ad dollars are. Let's go reverse engineer a business. Yep. And then they wonder why they fail. Um, what we're going to do is remain disciplined where we have a differentiated narrative um, and can create a moat and a defensible um, moat around our business and the differentiation that we created within it. How Otherwise, we won't do it. How difficult has that discipline been over the last 18 years going through <laughs> all those iterations? Well, you know, um, you're venture backed, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure from venture back. There was our old board, um, for growth, um, at, at breakneck speed, especially late two thousands into early to mid 2000, the teens. Um, we had a lot of fights about that. Um, and, you know, thankfully we won most of them. Um, the discipline, it becomes easier as you learn how your audience rewards you for being loyal to them. And when I say loyal, I don't mean um, you, not, not diluting your core competencies, right? You have to keep feeding that beast and giving them new and different things to experience from a value perspective. Um, and you'd realize that a dollar spent 
against an organic growing audience, especially in a differentiated category, will pay back on an ROI basis infinitely more than um, chasing something that is probably a little out of your sweet spot. What's an example I wish more of, people looked at what's that. What's an example but, of something you chased that you may not have, uh, you may not have landed? Um, we were very early um, in the late 2000s trying to do uh, hardcore gaming. Right, we had a verticalized around it. Vertical. We had a lot of great sites around it back when the blogosphere was big, um, but it was never. You know, the culture of gaming is important to us, and we have a lot of people who casually game and um, and 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 spend a lot of time doing it. But it's not. That's not what they come to us for. They're not coming to us for cheat codes or um, complex bringing you nine hours of gaming in a row on Twitch. That's just not what we're there for. So, um, we quickly realized that that was not something that was true to us. And we decided to, uh, refocus our efforts and double and triple down on, on the topics that we were winning on. And one of the things I think that, you know, you guys have, have done well is, is creating IP. Uh, you know, we internally call it monetizable IP where you build something and you have whatever it is that you want to call it. Everyone calls it a little bit something different. How tough has that been for you guys and to making sure you're staying focused? And I know you talk about both reporters versus original IP creators and kind of who wins now going forward. Well, I mean, look, that's a, that, by the way, that's a humongous question. We yeah. could spend 45 minutes just talking about that. And, um, you know, I want to make a delineation because I think it's really important. Um, about five years ago at the top of 2015, before we even sold the business, um, we made a strategic decision to stop being reliant on um, outside news. Um, and, I, and I'm not critiquing reporters. There is a very big need for reporters. I just don't like being dependent upon other things happening in order for us to create a narrative. So when we made a switch in 2015 to go into hardcore, uh, massive, longer form IP that is video oriented, we realized that the best ideas were not coming from the journalists that we had in-house that were writing great tech stories, but it was coming from original idea creators. Um, And when we switched to that, that's when uh, the business took off. Plus, we realized that there's a massive advantage, um, and not to jump on the theme of today, but if you look at what's going on out there with all sporting events being canceled and large-scale events being canceled, and you'll see concerts being canceled... Um, and a lot of the movies being delayed and so on and so forth, a lot of companies that are just news and are waiting to react to those things are going to be shit out of luck, right? Where we have are in control of creating a great deal of our con- – uh, like we, we always say we start the conversations and then others report on us. Um, we fully anticipate we'll we'll continue to be the news for other for everybody who on a competitive basis, right? As if if things get really bad, we're set to be able to continue to drop a lot of a very original content that is completely differentiated. So there's the short term advantages, there's the defensibility, but even more so on a long term basis, being the one who can start a conversation and create a narrative, you're always going to get paid more than than someone who can come up with a, a slightly tweaked perspective on a news item because everybody else can cover that. Whereas you have your, when you start that conversation, you literally are starting the, the narrative fresh and people will pay for that. If you, you know, everybody talks about storytellers. I'm sorry, I'm not saying there aren't effective journalistic storytellers. There are. I just think there's a, like, 
people are always looking for new and different um, and something that's never been done before, that's an originator versus a journalist. And you guys have been able to sell that to advertisers too, right? As sell it not just to advertisers. How about streaming platforms? How about um, lo- um, you know, uh, linear cable platforms? I mean, we have deals with everybody under the sun, MSG, Spectrum, uh, NBC, um, Fuse. Uh, we have more shows. I think we have more shows on Amazon, Hulu, Netflix than probably a lot of our competitors added up combined. Did you worry about that early on in terms of like there was a pivot to Facebook video, there's a pivot to this, and now you guys are building these shows and distributing them on well, these platforms? Well, we kind of skipped over. We never pivoted to Facebook video. Yeah. Um, like we never chased it. It was just not us. You know, no no shots at them. Like nobody did it better than BuzzFeed initially. Yeah. Like, you know, I just – there was no correlate for us of putting rubber bands around a watermelon, right? <laughs> like it was just not – that's not what we do. Yeah. Um, so for us, it was – you know, we wanted to, we always want to champion the untold story, right? Um, and the up and comers. And that's kind of what we do within the verticalized topics. Like news, if you think about the really the underlying thing of hip hop culture being the cartilage between all of the topics that, that run complex networks, that, that drive complex networks, and the, and then the very close facsimile of that is this new school entrepreneurship um, and making a business out of a lifestyle. I could argue we do that better than anybody in the world. And that to me, not to have some foreshadowing, yeah. but I'll foreshadow your net, probably one of your upcoming questions is when you think about where we can go, um, we foundationally have a massive advantage. We'd be running downhill to think about that. And I guess one of the other areas that, we, that we've talked about, and I've kind of talked around, but is sports and how sports plays into all of what it is that you guys are doing. You've yep. done some collabs with the Cubs, the Lakers. What is, what is the future in terms of complex and sports and kind of how these conversations are evolving with teams and, and tapping into your audience? I mean, we're having, um, unfortunately, some of those conversations have to be uh, off the record for this, for this. But um, look, we're having conversations with leagues player associations, as well as individualized athletes and teams. Um, we're trying to figure out what the right path forward is. The If you think about um, the topics that we cover, again, art, design, sneakers, streetwear, um, hip-hop, if you think about the most popular professional athletes and all of their passion points, there's an awful lot of overlap yeah. there. I mean, if you think about it, anybody from soccer to to um, football to ba- especially basketball, just the the organic, realistic, foundational overlay um, as complex of a brand and what it means to these guys, a lot of them have grown up with complex as their most influential brand. So that's why they feel very comfortable coming on sneaker shopping with Joe LaPuma, going on hot ones with Sean Evans, going to full size run and talking about their ridiculous sneaker collections. You know, we don't have to solicit. We have a lot of incoming when it comes to that. And, you know, in this day and age of marketing and, you know, you think about Every one of these athletes, 17, 18 years old, they're media trained already, 100%. right? And they do not want to talk about stats. That's why they have canned responses. Well, it's all about the team and we played well or, you know, it's like, um, you know, well, if, if we kept pressure on them, like, it's like, you know, it's like, and by the way, you can just press rinse and repeat, right? Yeah. Over and over DJ and over again. hundred percent. Because they don't want to talk about the game. They spend so much time training for it and being in between the lines what they want to talk about are their passions. And what are their passions? It's all the topics that we own, 
right? I mean, so what we have to figure out is how we stay true to that, how we allow them to have a different and fresh perspective uh, on our platforms around existing IP and maybe potentially develop new IP with them as partners. And again, that's as far as I can go, but um, that's the way we think about it. And I think, you know, no shots at a lot of verticalized sports properties, but a lot of them are trying to play in the culture space and it's it's been it's a difficult transition for them. Whereas, you know, when you play in culture, you have to come inside out, not outside in. And a lot of them just don't have that advantage. And you guys have been doing it for That's the right. last eighteen years. And right. so how does the college athletic conversation and what's going on with their impact, what it is that you guys are doing? I'm sure you've probably even had those discussions internally too. We are excited. I mean, the bottom line is it only increases the funnel of more people that we could easily work with, right? Um, You know, on a personal basis, I think it's one of the bigger travesties in in, around that the the these universities make the and and the the television channels make the money that they make, Um, and these kids get nothing, and they're limited in. It's 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 a it's a narrative, and forget about the fact that a great deal of them really need the money on top of it, yep. right? This isn't they're not doing it for their health. Um, and I, you look at this, and it's it's a real issue. I think it's going to be a no brainer. We're going to turn around and be like, I can't believe it took this long because this when it happens, and it will happen soon. It the speed at which it will be adopted, and the depth and impact these guys will have, um, both to their bank accounts. <laughs> to brands as well as to the overall um, feeling, people are going to turn around in five years and go, I can't even believe that that ever existed. I really do believe that's going to, that's the way it's going to go down. And how do you guys see yourselves playing in that? Facilitating relationships with brands, developing IP like you talked about? I mean, look, we, you know, we talk about this, that we um, put a lot of people on, we start a lot of conversations. So to me, um, college athletics is where a lot of people get introduced to those athletes. Even um, high school now. Even high school. Even yeah. high school. I mean, overtime does a great job. I, you know, I give them a lot of props. Um, but uh, they're introducing them between the lines, right? What I think even more so as you think about the monetization, the monetization happens. Like what was I just saw the um, on Instagram was like LeBron James signed the contract with the Lakers and he's making what is he making twenty six million yeah, whatever like it is and he makes what ninety three million dollars a year in endorsements. I mean it's the Michael it's the Michael Jordan the Tiger Woods yep. all a- across the board right. These guys are more sophisticated than ever. Their windows are shorter. Um, who better to introduce athletes? from a cultural perspective to brands than a non-sport than a non-verticalized sports brand because you're going to be all about their narratives. So not only am I, we are excited about it, but I think we are more poised to um, set a narrative for people than other people are because other people again just report on what is already existing. We can help them create what that is for themselves. How does this all play into your international expansion? I know that's a big thing for you guys now that you've kind of, you know, I feel like gotten your foothold at least here in the U.S. and obviously continuing to expand there. But how does this play into the international expansion? You know, um, sometimes it's not that deep, right? Um, You know, it's wild. When we did, uh, we do research all the time, some of it anecdotal, some of it large scale. We ran our readership. Um, The second most popular sport for our readers, our consumers, is soccer, not it's not basketball. It's not baseball. It's not football. It's basketball, number one, soccer, too. 
Uh, obviously, the most popular sport yep. internationally in the yep. world um, makes a lot of sense, especially the culture and the swag around it. Yep. Um, so when you think about how you want to either enter markets or activate and scale, that is a really innate thing. Um, so that's something that we are thinking about and focusing on. Um, you know, recently, um, we cut a deal with uh, Chorus up in Canada. Yep. Chorus is a perfect partner for us in that they are exceptionally strong digitally, exceptionally strong linearly, have um, a real, like a branded content studio. They are a full 360 degree activation. A lot of people talk about that, but you go to outer market to other areas outside of domestic and most linear cable channels um, do not have d strong digital capabilities, so on and so forth. So we are looking for to replicate the relationship we have with Chorus from an IP distribution across a 360-degree basis with everything that we do from an international basis. And a, a, a potential tip of the spear could be soccer and soccer culture as a, as a, uh, a very big dr um, driver of that. So we're going to see a complex sponsored soccer team? Uh, I mean, that'd be a lot of my, I know my older daughter would love that. Um, you know, I just I highly, sponsor them and say, Hey, we're going to put a camera around you to build a hard knock. Well, see, soccer. you know, what's funny, but this is the difference, right? Um, I think verticalized sports properties from a media perspective might think that way. We would never, we would never align ourselves with one singular team. Like it's just not the way we are. Um, it's about personalities. It's about the culture around sports. It's about all of those narratives and stories. So we would never pigeon ourselves like that. Yep. Um, the same way. We would never do a collab with a single sneaker brand. Like we just, we, it's not that we can't, we yeah. could do that anytime we want, but we won't do that. Um, it's just not who we are. Um, cause we are the category. We are not, um, a slice of it. And I, that's the way we would, we'd look at sports as well. What do you think about some of these sports personalities in your opinion? Like who's someone that you're like really excited about, um, from just maybe even a content perspective or just your own personal I mean, standpoint? Uh, I'm going to have to exclusively answer that from yeah. a, from a personal perspective because I don't want to lose leverage in a potential negotiation. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, I know it's, it's, uh, I'll make a joke, you know, the same way every year was supposed to be the year of mobile from a media and a business perspective. And then it just, it, it never got crowned. It just, all of a sudden everybody now just cares about their phone more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I actually think that's going to happen in this country with soccer. I don't think it's going to overtake, but I do think it is going to, um, and I actually think this will be the first major sport that is also disproportionately driven by the women's league. Um, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be professionally oriented, but I think soccer, I know this is probably a wild, like no, out of left field it. perspective, it's very different. Um, but I, the world is ready to get behind women athletes brands and the audiences are finally ready to get behind them and not because they took their shirt off after they scored a goal. Um, and no shots at Brandy and yeah. anything like that. Iconic. Uh, it's, it's iconic. It's an amazing moment. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people that, that rally around that moment rally around it for the wrong reasons. I think people are ready to rally around women um, as amazing athletes and the amazing game that soccer is and how they play it so honestly, less flashy and more intelligently and probably better than a lot of men do. Um, and I think you, the, the world is ready for it and brands, and it, it has to be all those things. It has to be the audience. It has to be the brands and the dollars it has to be the networks 
and it has to be the quality of play. And I think that it's it's on the precipice. And I, I think that's not something somebody a lot of people are looking at. How do you think complex plays in that ecosystem? You know, we're surprisingly female, yeah. number one. Um, not that we write from a female tone in perspective, but, you know, our 70 million uniques on a domestic basis, 70, what is it, Jonathan, 75 million uniques? Something like that. Uh, Can't sorry. cut yourself the five. No, no, no. Million, hey, sure. you know, don't worry. I'll get yelled at later. Um, but, you know, is we're about 53 to 55% male and 45 to 47% female in any given month. Um, and it's, again, it's not that we write from a female perspective, but we cover a lot of topics that just youth culture cares about. And if, what's funny is a lot of verticalized female properties do not cover the topics we cover that a lot of women care about. So a lot of women care about sneakers. A lot of women care about hip hop. A lot of women care about style and design, not from a, uh, a, a, a couture fashion house perspective. And um, I think that that's a burgeoning thing for us. And I would be how... We're never going to do makeup columns on complex, but how we deal with women and reach more women and mean more to them will have to be a value exchange, like I was saying yeah. in, the, in, the, in the front side, and it's going to have to be topic-driven. So you can conflate a whole bunch of, the, of our conversations and kind of get there. Yeah. Now, obviously, another big part of the business is, is ComplexCon and what you guys have done there from an experiential yep. standpoint. You know, you diversified into all these different areas, but that's obviously one of the biggest areas in which people can touch the brand. Uh, you know, talk us through that whole evolution of ComplexCon, and now it's expanding into multiple cities and just kind of the, the growth overall and, and where you see that playing into this confluence of everything that you have going on and even potentially how it impacts sports further. Is it working with teams? I know you did stuff around the the Chicago event with the Cubs, right? There's right. more of that coming. Well, you just nailed something, though. Um, I think a lot of people... Um, let me say it this way. Okay. There's a lot of layers to this because a lot of people, a lot of media brands are trying very hard to get into the events business. A lot of them will fail. And here's why. You have to have such a dedicated audience and a deep connection. This is not about scale and then having like getting 5% of people to pay. It's going, do you mean enough from a heavy user perspective for people to follow your brand and go someplace to go see it happen? Um, very few can pull that off. But here's the magic behind why I believe ComplexCon actually exploded. Not only did we make it about the experience for the end consumer, but even more importantly, we never looked at it as we, the only way we're going to make money is it was, it was a ticketed event. It was actually diversified from day one. Um, we, you know, we did a massive collab with Takashi Murakami around ComplexCon exclusive merchandise. We had music going on. We had food. Um, we brought, we activated the first We Feast brand and had an insane amount of collaborations around hot ones and wings and hot sauces. You know, we really brought the entire diversification to that. Now, that added value to the consumer from an experience perspective because basically they got to go to their dream mall with a food court and a movie theater and, and then buy products and everything. But most people who are trying to put on events, it's just an event to check a box, right? It's a reverse engineer like I was yep. talking about before around topics. We never did that. Um, we always thought about it as just a physical in real life activation of our URL, which is really our business across the board, right? So um, when you think about – and I, I'm not trying to get all heady. No, of course, yeah. But the the level of thought process that we put into these things is why they're different. Um there's the individual experience, 
But why the event is also so big, whether it's the 75,000 people that come, whether it's the 25 to $35 million worth of merchandise that is sold physically at the event, not only by us, but as a combination with from all of the sneaker companies and streetwear companies and art companies that are there, um, as well as then massive activations on a sponsorship basis um, leading up and afterwards from a media perspective, the complex conversations that are now uh, IP that we've sold to other platforms outside of that, um, which are, are, are verticalized TED Talks. Um, you know, you'll start to see here is that even when we do something vertical, we have a very diversified approach and thought process to it. Um, and I mean that both on how it activates to the audience and what the monetization opportunities are for us. Um, and that's how we bring best to world ideas. And that's why, you know, we don't, we don't swing as much as other people. Um, we take very high calculated, high batting average, um, usually massive swings, um, but they've been thought through in a great deal. So we have a a nice success ratio. I think there was a, a boxer. I can't remember who, but the most it was like a quote. It's like I don't, uh, I don't have to win every round. I just have to win for one second. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I don't know if that was Rocky Marciano, but I don't, like, I mean, I don't if, know. Yeah. if you look at like, you know, he's forty nine and zero uh, previously, one of the first undefeated boxers in any category. But famous heavyweight Italian American guy. My father was a monster fan, <laughs> and I was a big boxing fan growing up. And, dude, if you watch any of his fights, he's getting the shit beat out of him for 11 rounds. And what he does is wait till every it's, – it's, he was Rocky before Rocky wrote Rocky. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm going to kill you. And because he's like, I have the biggest, most effective punch in the world, I just have to find my sh- – what, what, I'm going to play my game. I can't outbox you, so I'm not going to try. I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to chop you down in your midsection. And then when your hands drop, I'm going to hit you harder than you've ever been hit in your life. There's probably – I never thought about it. There's probably a lot of ca- parallels to Complex. We don't play out of our – we only play home games. We don't play road games. We will not – that's that discipline that we were yep. talking about in the beginning. We do what we're good at and what we can be differentiated and where we can own the conversation. What and, do you then, th- and then we exploit the hell out of it. You just keep going deeper and deeper. That's right. What do you think about – and media companies in terms of like how do you think sports and media – sports teams and leagues and everything like that can learn from media companies? At the end of the day, sports teams theoretically nowadays, their content is just a live game that's happening. Well, that's always been true yeah. technically, right? Um, one thing that um, – let me say it this way. I think to go back to my point about storytelling um, – you know, everybody's a media company, right? Whether or not you decide that you are or not, it's like, but my point is you better have a narrative and you better be able to tell that story and distribute that story. Um, Previously, the game was enough for sports leagues, right? Because you could make enough money doing it. Now, that's not true. You want to grow your business. You want to do that across the board. How you do that is to control that narrative. And you need... If you want to have a better relationship with your players, then you know what? Create a platform for them where they feel comfortable and can actually want to work with you rather than go to another party. And I think there's a lot that leagues and teams individually can learn from media companies, certain media companies, that have the ability to realistically start a conversation and be effective platform irrespective as well. It's not like a one-trick pony on one platform to like do one thing. It's like uh, there's an ability to create a very powerful narrative 
to activate a brand audience that become brand ambassadors for your athlete, for your team, and for your league. And I think um, I think smart leagues and teams and owners are starting to have those conversations. I think there's still a lot of um, regulations yep. and limitations in there that that I think will go away soon because it's in everybody's interest to do that. Yeah. If you if you bought a sports team, what what's the first thing you do? First person you hire, like rich rich the owner. What does that look like? Wow. Um, I mean, obviously, my dream would be to own the Yankees. Uh, <laughs> like that's just not going to happen. Um, but you know, it's funny. You know, um, I'd probably run the other way. I think that that the way a lot of people are like um, the new trend is you know after Moneyball and now everybody's like you know whether it's the Theo that whole generation of Theo Epstein's yep. per se. Um, I would probably run the other way. It's like, look, with data being so proliferated, everybody has it, so there's no real differentiation. I'd go back to basics, like who takes young talent and teaches them fundamental skill sets and how to be a leader better? I would probably run the other way and, f- and hire the most qualitatively oriented general manager of all time. That's what would be the, because for me, I'm always looking for the advantage, not, I don't never want to chase. We want to define where things are going and um, be different. And that's the way I would approach it. Speaking of defining and being different, what are you spending most of your time on nowadays? Probably a little bit different than year one and even year nine and even probably last year. Um, you know, I was lucky enough uh, to build out um, after the uh, sale um, in 16, middle of 16, when it went through, um, we've added some new positions and, and um, added some real senior experienced talent, um, brought in a, a fantastic president and um, a, a great some great GMs. We changed the structure of the company a little bit. Um, the team that I've put in place allows me not to lose my mind in getting lost in the day-to-day operations of it. Um, and being able to think on a strategic basis, uh, not at those last five minutes at 11.30 at night when I'm toast. And I'm like, but I got to think about what's next. Yeah, yeah. Um, previously, that's the way it was. Now, um, I get to spend a greater preponderance of my time doing like higher level biz dev, higher level corp dev, and um, more strategic. I mean, obviously, I'm still involved in operations, but not anywhere near to the, the, the degree. And A, um, 18 years in, if that didn't happen, I probably would have lost my mind. So I, I cannot say thank you enough to my staff uh, who is just – so much more talented and so much smarter than I am, um, makes my job much easier and, um, you know, and more enjoyable. Yeah. Because when you're happy, you have the ability to be much more creative. Um, and I'm not playing defense as much as I was. I'm playing offense a lot more and that's exciting. So 18 years in on a, on the same job, even though it's not the same job is for me to be as energized as I am, Partly is my personality, but more so is um, where we are as a company and the team that we have together. So what do you want to see out of Complex over the next five years? I don't uh, know if you're thinking that strategically. Um, but I'm well, I, I, I mean, look, I, I think the answer is always we're thinking that strategically. Yeah. So believe me, yeah. we are. Uh, if you, if, I know I come off very informal. Believe me, we analyze more than and think about every angle and the every if-then statement more so than probably anybody else out there. That said, um, I think in this day and age, projecting out five years is almost impossible. Yeah. The, the new five years is two years. 
Um, in two years, um, I do, my goal would be simple. Like now there's a lot of um, uh, specific details that we could talk about within that, but, and you'll understand what I'm saying. I think our goal would be for in two years from now for people to look at Complex as a brand exclusively that um, participates in the most, the widest breadth of diversified revenue streams that almost doesn't get looked at as a media company first. It's just a brand first. Media is a very large component of what we do. Commerce is a large component of what we do. Brand development is a lot of what we do. IP development is a lot of what we do. Production is a lot of what we do. Um, to me, in two years, if people look at us and say you're they're the best youth culture brand company in the world, that would be the best goal in the world for two years from now. So do you think that is how most media companies are going to survive going forward? Is no. building a brand that people care about? That, uh, that, I don't. In that, in that no, way? here's here's. let me say this. Um, no, not because it's not what they should be doing. It's they don't have the vision nor the discipline to go do it. Straight up. They don't. Most it's, You have to have a lot. You have to have a very aggressive big vision and an incredibly pragmatic, almost insanity level of discipline and pragmatism to go after it up and down your entire company. And I don't think most people are willing to do it. Just media as a whole for you, obviously, just recently, one of your former employers, Men's Journal, laid off their entire editorial <laughs> staff. That was obviously a while a ago, a long time ago. Long ago, time yes. ago. Um, but how do you see the next two years, since we're speaking in two years terms, play out for media, sports media, media in general, just across the board? I mean, it, let me put a pin in sports media for a second, yeah. just because nothing there's it you can't correlate sports media to any other media platform just because rights means so much so it's much. the ultimate differentiator yep. right like and it's no there's no one for one um that the one thing is we do know a lot of these league contracts are up yep. in sports right so to talk about that the the ones with the large scale balance sheets or cash infusions to be able to not just pay for the rights, but to have a 360 degree diversified plan of what they're going to do with those rights, not just the initial window of broadcast, but are they bringing all of those things that we've talked about throughout this, directly and indirectly throughout this entire podcast, yep. that's going to be the ones who win from a sports perspective. Um, there's going to have to be consolidation. There's so many different models. There's so many different um, partnerships out there and supposedly strategic investments that have been made. Um, you know, are we ready truly for um, more global competition from a sports perspective is my question. I don't know. You probably know the answer better than that. But that's what I'm surprised doesn't get talked about more. It gets talked about so strong from a domestic perspective yep. and almost gets ignored uh, um, globally. Um, media companies in general, you know, there is last year was the year of consolidation from a digital player perspective. Um, there will be more, um, cause I don't think it's been enough. Uh, I think a lot of the, uh, I think the consolidation that is needed to happen, and I mean this on a lot of levels is the larger scale, um, traditional media companies need to swallow up some of the um, consolidation already and or some more independence and not just to hire them, do the aqua hire thing to like change from the inside out, but um, they do need to behave more uh, iteratively. 
But I think also they need to behave more um, diversified. So many of the traditional companies, um, their diversification has no integration across. If you look at digital companies, you might not like their bottom line EBITDA right now, but a lot of them at least have full-on integration across all of the different facets of what they do. That's where – I mean that's why Disney is Disney. Nobody does that better than Disney. Not, not, I mean – and and I mean like – Across the board. I mean yeah, across the board yep. and to the degree, just no one's in the same stratosphere, right? Whether it's their merch, IP launching, marketing, just – they're just – forget about the franchises and everything else. Like nobody's close, yeah. right? Most traditional companies are not set up that way. They have like, here's my distribution team. Here's my merch team, maybe. Like everything is just a, an afterthought to the broadcast and carriage fees and other things like that. A lot of people give a lot of lip service to it, but I think that's where um, the consolidation of some of these verticalized brands and their approaches from a modeling perspective um, uh, of integrating all the different verticalized specialties is going to be something that has to happen more effectively for large-scale companies. For you, now that you're 18 months, 18, not months, 18 years into all of this, obviously <laughs> it's, it's probably went by in a blink of an eye. Uh, Media planner at, uh, you know, Saatchi and Saatchi, account manager, men's journal, national sales director at Nat Geo Complex for the last 18 years. What's this media career of Rich Antonello been, and, and kind of how do you see the, the I would even say the legacy of this in terms of going forward, but just kind of, what is it? what has that whole journey been like? Um, well, first of all, it's been a lot of fun for me. I've gotten to do, you know, I was going to go into finance, and um, I chose to, to go down the route of media because my father was like, I had two, two job offers. One was for an awful lot of money at a large-scale finance company, and one was twenty grand to start at Saatchi and Saatchi in nineteen ninety three, and um, I went to my dad who was a UPS driver, right? Yeah. And uh, and I told him, you know, I was like, I can make go out make one hundred and ten or twenty grand, and he's I expected him to just be like, take the money. And uh, my dad challenged me, and he goes, "If you think you're so smart, um, then do what you love, and we'll see how smart you are, and if you make your money." Um, not what I expected. Out of him, I just expect him to go. What are you a moron and take the money, yeah, yeah. right? Like, but uh, which probably would have normally happened. But the, you know, uh, what was interesting about that, and I can answer the question. The career has been so fulfilling for me. A, it's been very successful. And it's great for what I've been able to do for my family, um, which is well beyond what I ever dreamed in my entire life as some kid from Brooklyn. Um, but more so is I've been able to do it on my terms. And I mean that both in the manner in which I'm able to be as aggressive as I have been strategically, but even more so, I've been true to myself in that no matter every one of those jobs, I learned the value of brand at Saatchi and Saatchi and Men's Journal. And then I started realizing how to build that at Nat Geo and then further that. You know, if the one string is there's a consistency of thought process here of believing that if you can make a massive deep connection with the end audience, you can build a tremendous business around that as a brand. There's a lot of businesses out there that are great brands that have shitty businesses, and there's a lot of great businesses that have shitty brands. They will not last. We've built something that is both a brand and a real business, and it's because of my experience, which has been incredibly satisfying for me um, because I got to do it my way. 
and sorry the whole Frank Sinatra reference, okay. but I had to work. New, the, I had to work guy. the Yankees yeah, in there. Um, but I really have, and uh, I'm the luckiest guy in the world for that. That twenty thousand dollars salary. Looking back on it, may oh, may have hurt then, but two hundred and sixty three dollars and thirty eight cents. That's what I made every wow. paycheck, wow. and I'll never forget that number. And uh, wow, come a long way. It's awesome. Apartments were a little bit cheaper in, <laughs> in apartments. Were, that apartments were a little cheaper. Um, you know, it, it, we it, the world was a lot different. The yeah. world was a lot different. You you I, I you know, it's when I fell in love with um, uh, media sales because making twenty grand a year, I was eating bologna and Cheerios, so I really enjoyed getting taken out for lunch and dinners from a rep perspective. So I was like, hey, I could do that job and make a lot more money and be the one on the other side of it and represent a verticalized brand on us on this on as an upside yeah and that's how it really i mean it's a look it's a fantastic narrative um i often call myself the reluctant ceo uh because it wasn't my plan yeah um but thank god it all worked out this way it's really awesome and you weren't eating bologna with cheerios just no, no, it, was, no, it, was, it was separate right no no <laughs> it was it was just the cheapest shit possible right always yeah. i mean you just you know yeah. when you rub you're rubbing two nickels together when you come out you i mean you're you're a, obviously a lunatic i mean coming out of school and deciding forget about a paycheck i'm actually going to go start something that's yeah. insanity yes. it's awesome yeah it's been fun it's 100% it's great. been fun but it has been insane it was it, luckily you know i had a few helps along the way right i always tell people only reason I was able to do it, at least that first year out of school, is that the girl who I was dating at the time, her mom or her parents had an apartment that they were paying for for her, and I just crashed there for free because I wasn't going to go home to. I went, you know, graduated Miami, did right. all this stuff, not going back to Phoenix to live with my parents, a pride <laughs> thing. So went back to school, went back to working at a restaurant, and just like, hey, we'll do it, and here we are. A well, lot you more made it, tr- but you made it look not and probably not a bad place to um, pound away and then leave it. Also, is you know, a lot of people um, think that it's easy. Um, it's not. Um, and I don't just mean the business. I don't mean cracking the door open. I mean the choices to be an entrepreneur and build something. What you have to give up, especially as the leader, um, your health, your psyche, your – no one's inspiring you, right? You have to inspire everybody else. Your heart, your soul, you are getting wrung out every single day. And then the choices that you have to make and what you have to give up monetarily from a time perspective, um, from a, an experience basis, um, people just don't get how bad, <laughs> how hard it is. Um, I Again, I'm not saying it's not worth it. No, and I'd make all those choices again. But it is nowhere near as sexy um, you know, it's like my most loathed phrase right now is hustle culture. Like it drives me crazy um, because everybody thinks you could just make it flashy. And I got news for you. Uh, you can make it flashy. I guarantee you won't have a good good end result. Like, you know what? Building a business is like building a brick wall in at, in Alabama in the middle of the summer. It's like blood, sweat, tears, brick by brick. And when everybody else on your team leaves, you're still there building that wall all the time. Still building 18 years later. That's right. That's right. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you do, 
Make sure to take a screenshot of the rating slash review and share it on social media to get some front office sports swag. We'll see you next time.